This podcast is brought to you by the Common Mission Project. Hello, and welcome to the Common Mission Project podcast series. Today, joining me is my co-host, Rodrigo. Thank you for being here as always. And our very special guest, Eric Pareka, CMP Senior Director and Advisor of Hacking for Impact Programs, and Lior Schiffer, CMP H4 Impact Senior Advisor. Welcome, gentlemen. It's fantastic to be here, Jim. Thanks. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having us Hi, on. Lior. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Thank you so much yeah. for coming. Yeah, thank you guys. We appreciate it. So this is a this is an uh, with season two. One of the things that we we've, we've kind of wanted to do this year, uh, or with the season, I should say, is that we want to broaden what it is that we're talking about with the, with this podcast series. So last week we were very fortunate to have the you know our the the father of the architecture of the H four program, Pete, uh, Pete, join us, and H four Impact, the hacking for impact, is this really new and exciting space that we're seeing a lot of traction on across our communities. And what better way of understanding what's going on in this in the social impact climate oceans uh, local space than by bringing on the folks who um, from a cmp perspective are really the ones facilitating this happening so rodrigo and i couldn't be more excited to have you both here to talk about the work that you're doing in ways that uh other folks can get involved because while we're still solving problems with this with hacking for impact the way that we're achieving this is, is just a little bit different and i think there's an opportunity for uh for individuals to get involved in new ways so with that being said, one of the things that I wanted to start off with is just uh, brief introductions of, of you two gentlemen, your backgrounds, and and kind of what brought you to uh, H4 Impact and Common Mission Project. So, Eric, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll pick on you first. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. Uh, and again, it's fantastic to be here and appreciate the opportunity. A uh, little bit of my background, uh, and I always debate on whether I should start from a, a young age uh, or just go backwards. Uh, but I've been in the climate and impact sector now for almost two decades. Uh, I uh, actually started with wind development with some Native American tribes, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in uh, South Dakota years ago. Uh, this was back when my colleagues and classmates from business school made Don Quixote jokes as a result of it. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, those things have now uh, advanced tremendously. We're in solar, we're in um, uh, COP27 now, we're looking at COP28, uh, we have global focus on global warming, greenhouse gas, et cetera, and how to deal with those issues. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was a startup entrepreneur, uh, and prior to that was a, an investment banker with Thomas Weisel Partners back when the internet uh, 1.0 uh, evolution was just beginning. So it was tremendous to see some of the innovation in some of the bright minds, particularly out of the Silicon Valley area where I was. Uh, really focus on some very, very interesting things that could you know, change and, uh, and, and benefit uh, society and, uh, and yeah, sure, provide entertainment in some in some accords. Uh, prior to that, I had the great luxury uh, of being in the military. Uh, I signed up when I was 17, um, not quite a career. I didn't retire, but I uh, ended up going through the basic underwater demolition SEAL training program uh, when I graduated from college and was one of the few guys, we had 10% that made it through our class back then. Uh, one of the few guys who qualified and ended up in the SEALs for my entire military career. So I thank the taxpayers for all, paying me to jump out of airplanes, blow things up, and go scuba diving. Uh, but was with SEAL Team 2, Naval Special Warfare Development Group, led some of our very, very tactical operational units uh, around the world. Uh, and bringing that back full circle, it meant at a young age, I had the great luxury of really being at the tip of the spear and making an impact. Uh, now, it was an impact, I think, far more than what the actual uh, volumes of people involved were, uh, mm -hmm. but we still definitely focused on key, key issues. And that belief and theory has carried throughout my career. Uh, and as I started to move into investing my last venture capital private equity fund uh, and started to look at focus, I still have a military bent uh, and a national security flavor to everything I do. Uh, but I started to see that climate and global warming and those issues were starting to far outweigh some of the other ones that we had to deal with. Uh, and so I've spent now since that crazy wind farm development, uh, all of my energies and time focusing on the global warming component of this and trying to move the needle. Uh, and that'll come into our conversations later and why hacking for impact. But uh, we started to realize that uh, John Doerr's comments about speed and scale were now critical for what we do with climate. If we can't do things at scale, we're not going to make a difference. Uh, in my last venture fund, we literally said, can you move 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions, which is now I think measured at 59 gigatons a year. Can wow. your solution or technology move that? And if so, let's have a conversation. Yeah, no, I, 
Yeah, thanks, Eric. You know, it's with your background. It's you know, it's like we have kind of some similarities, right? Coming from military, obviously, what you're doing is uh, much different than what I did in the military. But it's interesting to kind of under like, come to this same conclusion as we did that impact in the in the problem solving space and, and national security is kind of this ubiquitous idea that stretches on beyond the borders or confines of what we have traditionally thought about as national security. And I think there's we're seeing this in Congress, we're seeing this in state legislatures, where the idea of uh, climate security is part of national security. And there's this this move to seeing that just how related and interconnected all these things are. So it's interesting that you've come to this conclusion by all the work that you're doing and seeing that there's others just like you seeing the same things. So Absolutely. It's, it's, it's incredible. And then, Lior, I'd love to hear about your background as well and what brought you over to the Hacking for Impact space. Yeah, absolutely. It's always hard to go after Erica, but I'll do my best. I, uh, I actually joined the Common Mission Project ecosystem first as a student. So I was part of the first cohort of Hacking for Defense at UC San Diego, where I did my undergrad. Um, while I was there, I was actually on course to become an investment banker. That was kind of the goal, the dream at the time. Um, and mm -hmm. after taking Hacking for Defense, I fell in love with entrepreneurship. I fell in love with that methodology. And it's just what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Using the methodology that Lean Launchpad, um, I actually started my own company right out of college, uh, ran that for about two years, and then have just been in the startup space ever since, um, bouncing around learning as much as I can. And uh, when uh, I got reached out to by CMP, about uh, them trying to grow their team. I absolutely would love to join on. So here I am now uh, kind of completing the circle and trying to give back uh, what's changed my life so much. Thanks, Lior. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I've really, you know, as we've been working together is that it's, you're, the perspective you bring, obviously, is what you were thinking you were going to do while you were in school, taking the hacking for de a defense course and having like this paradigm shift and saying like, this is the impact that I can make in these kind of ways. And your story to me is an underlying success of why does the lean launch pad and the hacking for method really work? You know, if somebody asks for like, what's the, that, that definition look like? I'm like, well, look at Lior. Look what Lior has accomplished in the way that he's been able to help so many other individuals, communities, and, and the program just by virtue of your experiences. And to me, that, that really highlights not only your character as a person, but how well this program can work when it's executed well. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, and, and that's exactly why I'm here. I've just kind of seen this impact. I'm not the only one. I had some of my uh, students from my class also kind of go further into defense work when that was definitely not their original intention. So it's just incredible that these kind of opportunities can show people uh, what's out there more so than just kind of the standard job of, you know, banker, lawyer, doctor, uh, it, it really kind of exposes you to a whole new field of opportunities. No, absolutely. So, and Jim, I, and Eric, I go, <laughs> please go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. I, I was going to add, Lior is a fabulous example of how we have taken our national security work. The Common Mission Project really falls under two buckets, uh, hacking for national security and hacking for impact. And then we have our hacking for defense, which is the real programs, but it's our national security programs and our impact programs. Uh, and our national security component really was designed to take the next generation of bright minds and make them aware of and have them lean towards national security of the defense department and their work. So having Lior having gone through the hacking for defense process and now seeing as well how that interconnects with some of our impact climate and other uh, issues uh, is tremendous. Uh, to have those two forces now already combined as sort of the leadership and with what we're rolling out uh, is a huge benefit. Oh, so, and this is a great segue to discuss the, 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 the topic that we have here for us today, right? So how do we go from H4D to H4A, right? Are we just changing the uh, letter in the acronym, right? Uh, is there a big change here on the methodology, on the view? So what is the thing that makes an H4 program an H4 program, but what changes once we take that D for defense and add the I for uh, impact instead? Well, what we didn't do was roll a dice, get a five on the, the top side and just say <laughs> put the fifth letter down in the alphabet. So that's what we didn't do. Um, if you remember from the conversation on episode one of season two uh, with our CEO, uh, Pete Newell, uh, part of our original genesis was accident. Part yeah. of our genesis was take a group of bright minds and have them with a Silicon Valley mentality 
uh, interact yep. with the Defense Department in a meaningful way. Uh, but when I looked at it, what I saw was later in the evolutionary process, I saw us trying to create a better, faster solution. Uh, and and the faster solution was from uh, uh, retired Colonel Pete Newell, our CEO's uh, background with the Rapid Equipping Force, trying to get technologies that were either commercially available or near commercially available into the hands of the troops to protect our uh, soldiers, uh, airmen, sailors uh, overseas, primarily from things like improvised explosive devices. I actually worked on the technology side of one of those with a Kleiner Perkins funded startup way back in the day. Uh, But so it was, how do we get technologies faster deployed? But then from the Steve Blank side, how do we make them better? How do they make Mm -hmm. them, from a startup's perspective, more likely to succeed, maybe have an exit or at least have positive revenue and cash flow, um, but actually deploy a product, Uh, let alone just how do we save time working through the process of coming up with a minimum viable product? How do we avoid the challenge of putting two guys in a room uh, with some computers and a dog and code for three months and then hopefully have something that comes out the door that people are going to adapt? Let's make sure the customer really wants that. So back to the question as I go on a diatribe and, and uh, Lior is, podcast very, is for. Lior is very, very good at, at telling me to redirect and, and uh, uh, focus on what the question was. We had such tremendous success in our hacking for defense work. Uh, we've expanded now and not actually in this order, but we've expanded into uh, diplomacy. We've sub- uh, expanded into Homeland Security now. Um, what we saw was strong interest from student bodies to uh, be involved in the process. Uh, I think there's a, a, an excitement of seeing at a young age uh, what's going on in the Defense Department and having that interaction, but more, I think, having a wicked problem that's a real challenge, and even more than that, actually doing something that's impactful, uh, doing something that's really going to make a difference. So we saw students really, really uh, wrap their arms around the classes. We're now, I think, at almost 75 universities globally. Uh, the predominant amount of that is in the U.S., but we're in the United Kingdom, Australia, and we're expanding into other countries as we speak. So about two and a half years ago, the founding team said, why can't we take the successes that we're having out of hacking for defense and apply them to other broad, large issues? And I think the first one that came up was climate. Uh, and so uh, as people looked at both just scale and size of markets, uh, scale and size of people affected by these solutions, scale and size of dollars that needed to be contributed and challenges and wicked problems that needed to be solved, this was a natural evolution to say, let's take everything we've learned, everything we've perfected, uh, and everything that we've found from a track record on our defense side, and let's go apply it to impact and climate. Uh, and we've just started to do that. And we're, and we're in the realms now, though, of having a big brother, Office of Naval Research, supporting financially the defense work. Uh, and we're now out in the world looking for a big brother to help us support the climate work, which, as we know, 50 guy, 59 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions. And the last estimate I think I saw from McKinsey was 10 to 20 trillion a year is going to be needed to actually solve this. Uh, so there's a tremendous opportunity there. And we're trying to make sure that we have, uh, at least at the American side, but absolutely our five eyes and our uh, NATO allies, uh, an entire generation of folks that now have a unique skill set that can apply to something as big as climate. So, Lior, Eric, yeah. if if ONR, if the Office of Naval Research, is still involved, why not just do this through the pipe of the Hacking for Defense uh, umbrella? What's, what's the reason that you thought that this, specifically the climate problem space, deserves its own uh, a framework of approach that it's uh, a different brand to the one that you had been used, be, using before? So climate is a unique animal on its own. We have sort of, in my world, I like to put it in sort of three broad buckets of challenges. Uh, We have the um, stop continuing to do the bad that we are doing uh, with greenhouse gas emissions. So mitigation of uh, mostly, but it's not all, uh, some of our power infrastructure, our construction, even our food systems. Uh, We also have, though, another animal, which is adaptation, uh, which is how do we deal with the extreme weather uh, events and other challenges that are are occurring as we speak uh, and will continue even if we stopped 100% of our emissions today uh, for the next probably two decades. 
Uh, it takes Mother Nature that long to remove those emissions from the atmosphere naturally. Uh, and then there's the last bucket, which is sort of opportunistic uh, endeavors and uh, uh, things that will evolve as a result of the work that we're doing and the things that we're seeing. And that a lot of times comes back to national security. So yes, it's economic opportunity, it's quality of life, but it's also, it creates some interesting overlaps with our national security. So when we started to look at hacking for impact, we really did focus on things like ocean, um, uh, 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 kelp farms, uh, CO2 absorption in soils, uh, forest fire, forest fire abatements, some things that were sort of mostly in the adaptation side uh, and very, very, very climate focused. Um, but as I started to uh, become involved, we really did see a tremendous overlap, uh, Rodrigo, back to your question, with the defense and national security components. Uh, things like energy. Um, you know what? I, part of the IEDs that we were dealing with when the ideas came up for some of this was because of supply lines with fuel for diesel generators and forward operating bases. So right. if we can move our supply lines to a different paradigm uh, and eliminate that tactical disadvantage, uh, why not? Um, so we, as we see what we've done with the grid and what we've done with infrastructure, uh, as we move to these intermittent resources that are now more, far more environmentally friendly, it's created additional challenges, i.e. energy storage, which has created some fabulous advancements in batteries, which guess what? Sure, it works for our electric vehicle uh, and you name it, but we're also seeing those benefits trickle down to the Defense Department. So we, Rodrigo, right now, I think are in a dialogue uh, to not really separate both programs, but sort of to understand where they intertwine uh, and where they come together. Hacking for space right now, which is one of our other major categories that we're addressing, you know, space isn't just about hypersonic missiles. It's not just about uh, other things that are security focused, but a lot of those same solutions provide some tremendous opportunities what we deal with on climate. Uh, fantastic uh, uh, weather and other senses or sensoring technologies that allowed us to monitor what's going on the planet to both prepare for storms, uh, gauge the severity of storms. Uh, I mean, how great would it be to understand that a flood is getting ready to come in a small town in the Southwest uh, and we can track it down to the minute uh, and, you know, tell in our, you know, our community outreach messaging, you've got six hours to be out of that area. You now have four, you now have two, you now have an hour, get in your car, dang it. Right, uh, right. Sort of to add to that as, as yeah, well. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. Um, we're definitely kind of moving towards this more kind of consortium model. And one of the reasons for that is that within the H4 ecosystem, CMP is really just building a series of partners that are kind of committed to these, um, you know, making progress on different problems. And within this ecosystem that we've built, there's a lot of overlap, like Eric discusses, between impact, national security, um, all of these different areas that we can run hacking for problems. And as you guys know, the methodology, that kind of root in Lean Launchpad is applied the same in all of our courses. It's just wh what problems are the students focused on? Where are we pulling our mentors from? So it's almost a, a, a growth in the ecosystem that kind of uh, defines what each program is. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting point. So I, I know I've mentioned this before, but out of all the major verticals that we do at Common Mission Project, I get to teach all of them now. So um, I do have hacking for impact and hacking for homeland security and Department of State and defense. And the one thing that is ubiquitous is the methodology, right? And that's, we know that the methodology works and it doesn't really matter how we're applying it. So, you know, Eric, you mentioned about this wicked problem idea. And what's been interesting for me is I've been having hacking for impact this semester is seeing how students take these really big wicked problems and they say, well, I, I want to deal with this at a very like microscopic level locally and, and on this campus or within the, the community that I lived in or being able to see like I didn't realize, you know, just how much like chemical dumping sites that exist, these super fun sites from that the EPA manages or and what you're starting to see the students doing is just like we see in hacking for defense or anything else is realizing these problems touch me on a very personal level. And I might not have just not been aware of this even before I started taking the class. And that's what I've even seen in the hacking for impact class has been interesting is now how much more students are paying attention to what's going on around them, whether it's the news or whatever it might be. And I think I see that in the other H4 classes as well, but being able to see what's going on locally to me and why should I be caring about this? Sometimes there's a disconnect with students uh, from the, like the defense work 
is that if they're not really aware, they're not really sure what's going on there. But I think a lot of them are aware of what's going on in their communities and what their lived experiences are. And being able to tie that back in a very focused way to me sitting in the class, I just see these students who become hyper invested very quickly because this this affects them long term. It's it's incredible to see what this model is providing to our student population. I think that's a great point. And to take it even further, I think one of the great things within the hacking for courses and ecosystem and the way these these things are built is that within the problem curation, it's really important that these are real world solvable problems. Um, and definitely within the the impacting climate space, a lot of the conversation revolves at the macro level, these boil the ocean scale problems, where it's very hard to achieve real world results, where in our programs, it's very much focused on problems that can be solved and can eventually be scaled afterwards, which I think is kind of one of these very unique things about our program and why it makes tr- big real world impact. And, and Lior, segue off of that, one of the unique things that we're seeing from our hacking for impact and hacking for climate work is Jim, what you just said, a lot of our real world problems now can start with the university, the local community, the state, but those same problems we see across the entire country, we see across the globe. So under climate, as we come up with solutions, absolutely, we then want to share those. To, to We're all in this fight together with global right. warming, every citizen on the planet. Uh, so unlike some of our hacking for defense, which absolutely still has dual use applications, absolutely has uh, other potential partners and customers, uh, but we see hacking for impact and a lot of our climate work really start to spread far faster, I think. Uh, as a result of just this global you know, need and to, desire. Uh, and one of the other- I was going to just piggyback here. off that and just say that's kind of uh, the basis for the National Science Foundation grant that we went through was this kind of solve local problems that can then be scalable. And we can kind of uh, touch on that later. Eric, sorry to cut you off there. I, no, no, that's a fantastic point. Uh, what I was going to say is one of the unique parts of our hacking for process, both defense, uh, climate, uh, diplomacy, you name it, is we don't start with the technology. Uh, as any good startup, we start with the actual problem. Mm-hmm. And then during the evolution, though, and during the coursework, those problems are across a plethora of different needs, everything from uh, hypothermia and health to uh, drone mitigation to uh, dual uh, to uh, a married couple, dual active duty service member, child care and everything in between. So we see this plethora of challenges that each have then unique technology applications that the students discover iteratively over the course as the potential solution. It could be a software solution, it could be a hardware, it could be a widget, it could be a policy, uh, mm-hmm. it could be a blend of things, it could be just a sheer, pure financing solution. We had a, a team try and incru- improve CO2 absorption uh, in our kelp farms along the, the Pacific coast, uh, and the solution was a DAO with a blockchain component to it, uh, as opposed to a new biological process or a, a, a drone planting system or something else that they looked at. Uh, so we never quite know what the answer is going to be, uh, but we do know, at least as we've curated the problems, what the challenges we're trying to solve at the start. So because you'd mentioned this, I, I am very intrigued. Scaling has never been necessarily a core component of hacking for defense projects in the sense that some problems are important and you solve it and that's fantastic and, and that's it. But when you're dealing with something like climate, right, it is it is clear that although I, I understand the idea of local and starting local, it is true that if you're trying to make a global impact, it's almost unavoidable to at least have the idea or the concept of scale on the back of your mind. How are you connecting these two issues of solvable problems that teams can get their hands on and actually make a dent into it while at the same time having this need of acquiring global scale to fix what is basically a global problem. Um, we're still figuring that out, <laughs> uh, but we're figuring, question, right, <laughs> we are, we are figuring out in parallel with other folks who are now just coming to the same conclusion. So uh, as some of, some of uh, many of our listeners are probably aware uh, John Doerr has given a substantial, yep. well over a billion dollar grant to the, to Stanford University to stand up the next school. I think we're at seven now at Stanford, the, the Doerr School of Sustainability, uh, to look at uh, speed and scale uh, for climate. 
Uh, and what we're finding is uh, in the, uh, the different groups within that, some of our PhDs and professors at Stanford uh, who have focused on deep research have started to pivot their research away from things that can't scale. Uh, so we're literally starting to hear that now uh, over and over again, where they were doing things that were very nice to have, but when they said, hey, we have to move some material amount of something, and this is not going to get there, let's focus on other research. So we're seeing it at the front end, really start to change where our research is being done, which leads into Lior's comment about this National Science Foundation grant. So a uh, Common Mission Project has put in a sizable proposal uh, for a very large $160 million potential National Science Foundation grant centered in the Intermountain West region. Uh, and we're looking at climate and climate challenges, but those things, as you mentioned earlier, really do interconnect with all sorts of ecosystems. And I say ecosystems being uh, uh, business, uh, manufacturing, space, uh, uh, minerals, uh, recycle, you name it. Uh, water management is a big one. We have a major dilemma right now with our Great Salt Lake. Uh, because of um, partially global warming, we're having an increase in evaporation uh, at the lake level, but also because of increased population and traditional mm -hmm. just man-made use of water, uh, we're reducing the inflows into the lake and we're going to end up with a, a literally a, an environmental catastrophe. Uh, some of the chemicals, minerals, and actually uh, a radioactive material that's in the lake will be a problem. Um, but so when we talk Tough. about scale... Any of those solutions, as we as we as we look at advanced agriculture and advanced farming techniques, uh, let's be better at the water we have, and let's be better at how we capture, how we recycle, how we, how we conserve. Uh, so all of those things need to scale. So fortunately, I think we're seeing now in our problem sponsors, the folks who have the real world issue that the students address, we're starting to see we have the ability to sort of select across a paradigm of of challenges. But we're starting to see these challenges really start to coalesce around, hey, this is a big issue. Um, we're not talking just, you know, real simple sort of flow reduction in X, Y, Z. We're talking issues that are repeated across the country uh, and across the planet. So I think by design, uh, we'll have that scale capability built in. Yeah, part of just to piggyback off that, and, and I think Eric made a really interesting point as how like ecosystem building was such a big part of that. And during this uh, NSF application process, it made us really think deeply about how are we structuring Hacking for Impact? What makes it different? What kind of uh, support system does it need from the left side of problem sourcing, uh, research and development, all the way to the right side of commercialization and scale? Like how can we build a, um, a engine that takes problems, creates solutions, and then commercializes them? And that's kind of where our grant was focused around, but it's also just led to these ideas kind of being incorporated into how we want to grow CNP and how we want to grow our impact programming. Yeah, and I think that's like what's to your point is one of the things that I've experienced with having this class now is, and I and I do see it in the other in the other H four uh, verticals that I've taught, but the seeing how directly applicable this is to everybody regardless of where your socioeconomic status what school you're going to all these things are they're experienced and i think the scaling idea is you know you can think about what can i do in my community and then these are great ideas that well every, eric to your point earlier everybody's got these same problems so if i can figure this out or have some type of framework for local well there's an opportunity for us to bring these to other communities or like communities whatever it may look like and, and the one thing too is to kind of talk about is there's incredible opportunity for for organizations for people to get involved with the hacking for impact space and i think that's one of the things that we're seeing incredible traction with and i know eric and leo you've been working tirelessly to grow this program you mentioned the nsf grant um but there's a lot of other things that you're doing and i'd be curious you know not only your vision for the future of h4i but what ways can people so this is a, a long question i guess two-parter not only your vision for the future of H4I, but what are the opportunities for people to get involved? And what what would you say is like what, if you can say like you know in the next five years I've got these kind of partners involved with this with with the H4I vision? How, what what can we do there to to really make this as robust as we've seen the hacking for national security space become over the past uh, you know decade or so? We have Jim. Thank you for that question. We have a uh, U.S. security challenge that we deal with on a daily basis with our hacking for defense work. So we focus on the security and freedoms of all Americans. 
Uh, but that expands globally, obviously, as you see with conflicts in Ukraine, et cetera. Some of those solutions are absolutely being applied overseas. One of our early hacking for defense uh, technology teams was now Capella Space, which does the two-dimensional synthetic aperture yep. radar, low earth orbit imagery through non-visual paradigms. So things fog right, of right. war, night, et cetera. And they're doing that imagery in Ukraine. They were the first to detect the convoy of Russian military um, uh, activity uh, off the, the border. Um, right. So we're seeing our solutions then have a much global or a more global sort of footprint. And frankly, even on climate, they have a whole paradigm now of what are we gonna do on the climate side and how do we apply our technology to solve those things? Uh, so we're seeing that expand. As I mentioned at the start, we're at uh, three continents now. We're expanding quickly and hacking for defense. Uh, we've run it, we think, I th almost now 75 universities. Hacking right, right. for impact is in its infancy. Uh, I think we've run it 10 universities in total, and we're running six this semester. And we are trying to expand that. And frankly, climate is such a large global issue. We should be at five times the numbers of universities uh, that are running hacking for defense. Uh, we also see under impact an opportunity to really expand our program uh, from our top sort of 500 universities into our four-year colleges, into our two-year colleges. So we're in the right. process of expanding that as well because the applicability uh, and the understanding of what's going on in sort of the innovation and the minimum viable product process um, is critical across all of it. So I, we are all hands on deck, not to borrow a Navy term, but we're talking <laughs> to a Navy guy, um, trying to focus on this. Uh, so where do we actually add into our program? We are a nonprofit. We are funded by uh, generous donors, um, both the federal government, uh, some smaller subsections of that, but as well, uh, some large corporations. And we're in the process now of talking to a lot of our philanthropic family offices uh, about, about providing capital to keep the operation growing. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd like to add another 10 universities this fall. Those are a tremendous overhead cost uh, to the nonprofit to do it. We don't do it for free. We train the professors through a very, very process, a very detailed process. Jim, that actually you have perfected. Uh, Rodrigo, <laughs> you have perfected. Uh, we we have to source our problem sponsors, and in the defense department, I want to say it's easy. It is not easy, but we can send a representative to a base, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and the base commander can tell all the operational units to send somebody into the conference room and listen to the story. Right. Uh, that's an oversimplification. But in climate, we go out individually to, I like to say, the corporate guilty, uh, all of our petroleum and coal companies that are doing some of the emissions, sure. our transportation industry, uh, the folks with a corporate mission, uh, anybody in the software space, the Microsofts, the Googles, the Apples of the world who have already made and or actually reached it in some cases, carbon neutral uh, uh, operating. Uh, and then folks who understand that generationally, we've got to protect the planet for uh, our kids and our grandkids. Uh, and our neighbors' kids and grandkids. Uh, and so we are out raising grant philanthropic donations as we speak. We actually have a, a link on our website uh, and absolutely our logos, or sorry, our emails and our uh, contact information is there. So reach out to myself or Lior uh, if you're interested. Um, we think that we can take what we've done with defense and uh, by way of different countries, absolutely replicate it. Uh, so it's easy for us to go to uh, Australia, uh, United Kingdom, Canada, uh, and beyond. Uh, and so we'll not only expand our university footprint, we're going to expand our global footprint as well. And we don't then have some of the challenges we have where our defense department and or a host country's defense department uh, is providing financial support. We can take our financial support from our donors and, and grantees uh, and you know apply it uh, universally. So for, for those listening to us, many of them are are. Uh, instructors, professors who have been teaching hacking for defense uh, programs. Why should they motivate their administrators or why should they have an interest in expanding uh, to the hacking for impact and maybe offering a second class, uh, a second track of the hacking for uh, ecosystem? We are not short students who are interested in both the methodology, but as wealth, but as well, sorry. Uh, both of these are very critical issues, uh, national security and climate. Uh, so the demand is there. Uh, once the professors have learned our methodology, it's very easy to pivot over to different problem sets. And frankly, we're intertwining some of those. So there's no real ask there. 
I really, I think it's just bandwidth and capacity. We'd love professors to run two courses at the same time and every semester available uh, because we think the demand is there. Uh, and what we generally look for is a, a sort of business slash entrepreneur focused professor uh, who pairs with somebody who's more of a technically focused professor, whether it's computer science or materials or other. Uh, and that's generally the core of the team that starts our uh, our university process. They're four credit courses. They're, they're, um, they apply sometimes to major, major requirements for the students. Uh, mm -hmm. We see uh, right now, which we didn't mention, about 70% of our student problem solutions uh, are resoundingly adopted by our problem sponsors. Now, that's, that's a loose definition, uh, but they love what they see. They say, great, we're going to take this under advisement. Great, we're going to try and do it. Great, we're going to hire the student team, build it ourselves. Uh, but at 10% of the time, the students say, I like what we have created so much. We want to start a company uh, and actually try and go for it ourselves. 10% Ten, you said, Eric? 10%. So right now we've run about 560 uh, problem sets that have been used by students to go through our Hacking for Defense program. And we're at 52 startups. Wow. Those startups have subsequently raised over a quarter billion dollars uh, and are doing great things. Now, they're startups. They don't all make it. Uh, but, but we're seeing but far better results. That's from fantastic. This they're they're incubators that have a lower rate of conversion than the ten percent that you just described. So this is fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, okay. by, but by way of professors being involved, uh, climate is the next global issue. We've we've got three bills since two thousand and twenty one that have been yep. passed for over two trillion dollars. Uh, the uh, the the infrastructure act, our chips and science act. Yep, uh, and now our uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there are federal funds now backing all sorts of different components of this, um, mostly for technologies, mostly for semiconductors, uh, infrastructure, you name it. Uh, and so we're seeing a tremendous drive. So uh, by way of professors at universities, uh, we envision that each of our programs as they're run through will provide additional grant capital opportunities to the professors to continue research that's now something that's a little closer to commercialization uh, than what they may have already been working on. And Jim, you're an excellent example. You mentioned that you've been you've been teaching every single flavor of hacking for programs and that pivot that Eric demonstrated that going from one to the other. Eric, you mentioned something earlier. You want to expand on that one? Uh, that is really important. That it also increases the ecosystem, the the, the potential uh, recruitment pool for students, right? Students who might be interested in a, a, a impact problem might not necessarily be interested on a defense problem, and the opposite is also true. And therefore, mm -hmm. uh, you are you are creating more opportunities for people to be exposed to lean uh, with a flavor that it's closer to their own personal interests and areas of care. But for the teaching team, Jim. It's not that hard to make the pivot from one to the other, right? No, I totally agree. And, I, you know, I want to let Lyra chime in here too. But yeah, it really, the methodology is a methodology. And you're seeing students get excited about this because in the impact space, sometimes it feels like in the defense space that these things can feel like, well, this is somebody, this is in a different world than the world I live in. And it's not that it's not a problem because they are. These are national security issues that need to have more research, more insights and solutions placed on them. The impact space, it almost feels like if we're talking about, you know, the, the condition of roads and bridges. Well, I just blew out a tire on the highway because of a big pothole and they, the students were late to class, whatever. Like it's that's a little bit more tangible sometimes. So you've got di different populations that it can it can uh, reach out to and still have the same impact. So, Leo, I wanted to give you an opportunity here, too, as well, because it looked like you had a few things that you wanted to add. Yeah, definitely. Um one of the big things for professors as well is that this can definitely help expand on their personal network and ecosystem. So branching away, if they're, you know, hacking for defense professor, uh, getting some more impact mentors into the classroom, getting uh, exposure to a whole new set of students, potentially uh, kind of going off of what Eric said about all the grants that are now available to these kind of impact climate um type of research that's going on so it can open up a lot of doors for professors uh kind of within this ecosystem for either uh raising grants for their university uh having a larger outreach a larger network and just kind of really growing their own ecosystem on campus uh so yeah i think this is a great um addition that a current hacking for or lean launchpad professor can make and if uh, a professor is new to teaching hacking for uh 
you know, this is a great way to kind of get yourself into the common mission project pipeline uh, to add a new course and really just open up uh, your classroom uh, to a, a whole lot of hungry students who are looking to make a big impact in the world, but also looking to learn these really, really valuable skills that you can take on to a startup, to a job, to become an entrepreneur, or one of the big, uh, the big words we use now is intrapreneur, where a lot of our students who are coming out aren't just uh, regular employees, but they can go in and make a serious impact and, and bring these lean ideologies to restructure companies almost. So these, you know, the students definitely want to work in this space. So uh, just, you know, we're trying to give them more opportunities and professors who are committed to that goal, uh, please, you know, check out our website, uh, reach out to Eric or myself, and, and we'd love to kind of get you guys uh, within our ecosystem. And now, if I'm listening to you guys, and I've been thinking about uh, starting a Hacking for Defense program, but I haven't yet, and I have never taught before. Can I start with Hacking for Impact instead? Can I can I take that avenue instead of Hacking for Defense, or do I have to go first through Hacking for Defense and then uh, to Hacking for Impact? I, absolutely, you can start with either one you want first. Uh, both programs are designed off the exact same methodology. Uh, the only real difference is uh, you'll be dealing with everything from privates to corporals to uh, colonels to generals on the defense side, uh, as opposed to uh, sales managers to software engineers to CEOs on the impact side. Uh, so uh, similar scale problems uh, by, by way of individual problem sponsor and the pain points that they're addressing. Uh, so it's really just a different flavor. And, and I just pulled out in 2021, uh, Bill Gates's book, uh, How to Avoid a Climate uh, yep. Disaster, had been published. Uh, and he goes through on just the mitigation side. So remember I said there's sort of three buckets. I like to take an FDR slide out of uh, uh, the, the uh, post-attack on uh, uh, Pearl Harbor during World War II on how to make things simple and how we are going to actually now solve what America has been pulled into uh, as we got drawn into World War II. But just one of those buckets, the mitigation bucket, when we look at back to the professor question and how to be involved, Bill puts it into some fantastic categories. He talks about making things, plugging in, growing things, getting around and keeping warm and cool. But making things are just our construction and infrastructure. The it's concrete cement. part, Eric. Yes, cement and concrete. concrete. Holy cow, yes. It's, it's advanced materials. It's all of that work and how yeah. we use it. Plugging in, electrifying our grid. How do we convert things off of combustion fuels, et cetera, as we start to deal with this? But then that creates a whole extra dilemma of transmission, distribution, uh, energy capture, energy storage, all those things. Uh, growing things, plants and animals, both from an emissions standpoint, but also just a footprint standpoint. When I yep. talk about our advanced agriculture work that we're trying to do here in the Intermountain West, just utilization of water, which although it's a renewable resource, it's limited where we need it when we want it and or there's an overabundance of it where we don't want it. Right. Um, uh, getting around. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking EVs. We're well into the world of EVs now, but we're starting to move that over to uh, our uh, transportation, trucks, vehicles, et cetera. We're starting to see it now in planes, uh, our, electric, uh, our electric air transport. Uh, and then we're starting to see it in ships. Our last fund invested in both electrification ships uh, and a truck fleet. Uh, so some of the management software that goes into that. So we're starting to see those things. So that's chemistry, that's software, that's the whole paradigm that comes in. And then keeping warm and cool, funny enough, but heating, cooling, refrigeration, uh, you know, oh, yeah. everything from geothermal to heat pumps to all of those other features. And that's just one bucket of the things that we're dealing with. As we look at Hampton Roads, Virginia, and potential risk of rising sea levels, how do we deal with that? As we look right, at increased right. hurricane footprint that makes it all the way to New York City, uh, in floods basements. How do we deal with that? So I mean, there is a tremendous amount of work that we need to- To uh, add to, to your comment with. as well, Rodrigo. It's, it's the program- j Just just ahead, about right. professors ahead, joining yeah. uh, kind of the ecosystem as a first time professor. Uh, sometimes the defense uh, course can be a little inaccessible if you don't have background in national security with the alphabet soup that comes along with it and uh, a good understanding of all of the different branches, joint yep. program offices, all of the different ways to interact uh, within the defense world. So within impact, it might be a little bit more approachable for a first time professor. Yeah, and I think it's even to an extent as well as the accessibility on a more junior level, like undergraduate students, I'm seeing that the the methodology has been, because I usually teach a mix between graduate and undergraduate, with the undergraduates that are year one, year two, 
finding accessibility in the lean the lean uh, methodology is also really really exciting too to see. I had a student come back to me and uh, go for like an entrepreneur or uh, to use what you're talking about, Lior, and say, "Oh, saw all the the canvases on the walls at the uh, the entrepreneurship center." I'm like, "Yes, because this works, and there's ways that we can do things." And I'm giving you a foundation here, and that's exciting too. To you know, gosh, a month into the semester to hear that like they're already starting to see this about where they want to go from their futures, and the impact space offers an opportunity for that accessibility that sometimes might feel a little bit more opaque from a faculty or even student perspective. And Lior, I think that what you just said is, and, and Jim, what you, you both say is really important, that there is something about the Hacking for Impact ecosystem and, and, and meta ecosystem around it that feels more startupy in the sense that you'll be interacting with private sector much more, you will be. So if you have already some background in that in that area, it might, it might actually end up being an entry point that is fascinating. Now, I am, I am, I am, my heart is with the Hacking for Defense program. And what I would say is that if, uh, one or the other is probably going to be the gateway drug <laughs> that will get you into the hacking for world one way or the other. Right? <laughs> so what we want is professors that feel comfortable doing that uh, 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 movement between all of these, uh, all of these, uh, uh, con the consortium you mentioned, you described it, and and independently of what what last uh, letter comes at the end of the of the acronym, right? So, Absolutely. but it is fascinating. And, no, and I'm the Rod same way. Right. Absolutely. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry. And Rodrigo, one of the other uh, reasons I think to almost say, you know, let's start with hacking for impact, particularly if you're new to this, is it does create an ecosystem uh, that we envision. Uh, where I, this is just a, a, a hypothesis, but it'll be far more robust and interconnected yep. uh, than than we than we think today, uh, and partially because. These problem sets that we're dealing with, while we ask for an individual problem sponsor, these are global problem sets. So professors at universities, student teams at universities that go through this will be able to compare notes. And we're actually running a pilot program right now that combines California and the United Kingdom, where we take problem sets and have two different university teams work on those that compare notes. In our Hacking for Lean Launchpad process, the students uh, are uh, instructed required, or at least uh, uh, we ask them to try and do about a hundred hours of discovery uh, interviews, get out of the building, go meet with the problem sponsor, the, the supply chain, the constituents, et cetera, uh, in the process. That is a tremendous amount of knowledge that under climate and impact, uh, we can start to aggregate and share it. We can aggregate and share it with our researchers, back to driving, what should we focus on next? We can share it with other universities and we can share it globally with our partners. Uh, to really make an impact on what we're doing with, uh, I hate to reuse that over and over again, but uh, on global warming. Uh, and it's not just global warming. We're looking at oceans. We're looking at, you know, water, water security. We're looking at food security. We look at, uh, you know, increase in viral transmissions because of movements and species because of sure. temperature changes. Uh, we're looking at, you know, utilizing our resources, our minerals, our ores better. Uh, we're looking at all of those factors. Uh, and that's, you know, Everybody to, to add right to now. that real quick, yeah, is, um, yeah. that's also one of the big challenges uh, from CMP's perspective when it comes to impact with our hacking for defense program. There's, you know, one entity that kind of manages the United States defense ecosystem, and that's called the Department of Defense within impact. Uh, there isn't one real overarching uh, agency or department that manages all these things. You have a lot of uh, smaller agencies within the federal department, you have a lot of local uh, entities, and then you have a lot of NGOs and nonprofits and even uh, just mission-driven for-profit companies as well. And uh, one of the challenges that we're seeing is, is trying to cut across all of those lines and build that ecosystem. That was one of the challenges within the NSF application uh, and the grant there and the engine that we built. Uh, and it's also one of the, the things that we're really striving for uh, moving forward as we look into that kind of where are we going with CMP and, and what is the kind of this consortium and ecosystem that we're trying to build uh, within def defense, but also within impact. Our, our original name for our hacking for defense programs was just hacking defense. Uh, and when the team presented uh, at Stanford, uh, I think it was Bill Perry, former Secretary of Defense, who says, oh, no, no, we're going to call it Hacking for Defense. It wasn't until later that we decided to call it the Common Mission Project. Uh, and that name almost couldn't be more perfect for what we're doing under climate and sustainability and equitable, equitability, et cetera, under impact. 
uh, to have the entire country now around a common mission uh, of this global warming uh, and other environmental challenges uh, is tremendous. I mean, we see it in the Intermountain West over and over again. We have some tremendous resources across the entire gamut, research, manufacturing, uh, academia, government, uh, public policy, you name it. Uh, but we don't have it yet coalesced around a common mission. And so for the Common Mission Project to now show up in both national security and climate issues and try and organize uh, our entire country around that. We need more time in Washington, D.C. We need the, you know, the White House cabinet and the climate czars. We need everybody from Department of Energy, Department of Defense uh, to be aware of it. Uh, and we need, uh, you know, to finally bring on those thought leaders to really sort of make a difference. I don't think there's a better way that we could possibly close out this episode than with those final words, Eric. So I, I, I want to thank you both again for your time today. This is obviously a very uh, important space for all of us. And to have thought leaders in our organization come in here and kind of spell this out for us is tremendously beneficial to everybody listening. Contact information, how you can get involved in anything else, we're going to put that in the description of the episode. Please reach out to us for here. Uh, if you're a new faculty, you want to get involved, if this sounds exciting to you, and I hope it does because it is, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to get your foot in the door. If you're a sponsoring organization, if you're, uh, if you're uh, you know, a prospective student or faculty, or if you're an organization that's looking, how can we spend these millions of dollars in grants that we have available? Well, this is a great way of being able to make a real impact in the world around you. And I, this is this is not just uh, you know inflated you know feelings here. This is the truth. What what this program does makes a real world difference. Not only I'll, just I'll, the experience of students, but to the world itself. I'll say something that is gonna sound pretentious, but I think it's also true. It's this is one of the best organized and coordinated efforts to do what we care so much about in the Common Mission Project, which is uh, mission-driven entrepreneurship, right? So uh, this is a space that for all the entrepreneurship in, in, entrepreneurship literature there is and everything that, uh, that there is there is still a, a, a huge open space of untapped, unserviced capabilities to provide uh, mission-driven entrepreneurship opportunities to people who want to change the world without necessarily uh, without necessarily a big concern for for profit or with one right so and and from all of the the the, the efforts being done this is clearly one of the best organized so and that's that's what we're so proud to be part of absolutely so any any final words before we we uh, we cut this gentleman no, Jim, Rodrigo, thank you so much for having us on. Lior, as thank you. always, great to spend time. Great to see everybody, and thanks for having us on. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, this has been an exciting episode for us, just in terms of what this impact space is really looking like. Every single person that's listening to this is somehow impacted. And the, the neat thing about this podcast is we're literally touching every single corner of the globe with listeners. So this is not just a United States issue. This is not just a NATO. This is an everywhere issue. So get involved. So the information that they get in contact with Eric and Lior is going to be available in the both on the Commission website, uh, but I'll also link uh, contact information uh, there in the description. But thank you again for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. I would like to thank Eric and Lior for joining us on this episode. To find out more about the fantastic work the Common Mission Project is doing, please visit the links in the description, go to commonmission.us, and please subscribe to our podcast and your favorite podcasting service. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you.